listeners welcome to another great podcast session i'm shrivani mukhyala did you all know that according to the pwc report india's share in the global gdp is likely to rise from 2% to 13% by the end of 2050 isn't that amazing it is also expected to emerge as the third largest domestic banking sector as well this means that the bfsi sector is going to open new job opportunities but the hard reality is that the skills needed in tomorrow's world will be very different from those of today so this is because of you know increasing digitalization process automation and technology driven approaches so because of this there will be less branch based relationships with customers and there will be more digital interactions so this situation is definitely going to create more job roles and opportunities that don't even exist today so to bridge this gap let's hear what manipal academy of bsfi is uh, doing in the words of robin bomick who is a chief business officer at manipal global so without any further delay let's welcome our speaker for the day hi robin how are you doing shivani hey i'm well how are you and a very uh, warm welcome and a hi to all of the listeners as well pleasure to have you here on analytics inside podcast so uh, first of all could you tell our listeners what manipal academy is all about of course so manipal academy uh, have been uh, partnering with the bfsi industry now for um, close to 13 years uh, and essentially what we do with the bfsi industry is focused primarily around two things one is uh, we uh, work with the talent supply onboarding for most of the banks in the country and uh, also quite a few of the large insurance companies uh, so to give you an example in the last 13 odd years uh, we would have onboarded over 200000 bankers uh, in india alone uh the second thing that we also do is we pa- partner very closely with the bfsi industry in creating uh, some of the new training areas and the new learning areas uh, that are going to be extremely relevant going forward uh you kind of uh, inferred uh, to some of that uh, when you started and i am looking forward to talking more about that uh but uh, these are some of the new tech investments some of the new tech areas uh Uh, that are becoming extremely prevalent and really deciding the future of jobs and the future of work that's going to happen in bfsi going forward great happy to know about manipal academy and how it is actually working with the talent supply and as well as partnering with the uh, bfsi sector and uh, now uh, could you tell our listeners what are its specializations and services that the academy is actually offering by adding value to its clients of course shivani so uh, i will talk about a couple of areas uh, which are becoming extremely predominant uh, for most of the uh, the financial services sector players going forward uh, the first is the area of data analytics and data science and uh, you know this is uh, essentially uh, an area which is going to really define the future of how a bank or an uh, or a financial institute operates going forward and as a result of that the kind of roles that this industry will demand will also fundamentally change uh the second area which uh, is also impacting uh, the bfsi segment in a very dramatic way is the whole area of fintech 
and uh, we are currently partnering with uh, most of the major banks and most of the major insurance companies in the country to build upon their fintech uh, you know talent footprint within these organizations uh, but really uh, the first one is uh, something which we see to be uh, almost uh, revolutionary uh, it's no longer revolutionary uh, the whole space of big data and analytics uh, within the banking space uh, especially is uh, completely uh, swamping uh, the need of future talent and also the way current uh, employees work within each one of these organizations so these are the two primary areas for us in terms of new initiatives that we are trying to drive within the bfsi space great and uh, uh, could you also tell us more you know on the front how uh, it is actually adding value to your clients of course so uh, let's talk about data analytics and uh, and big data uh, to begin with now uh, i'll give you a small example which a lot of your listeners might be uh, might have experienced uh, personally uh, you know with the whole uh, digitalization that's been happening across uh, especially the payments uh, area um, most of us are now familiar with and extensively use uh, you know multiple forms of digital payments so whether you're using uh, ola money or whether you're using uh, google pay or whether you're using paytm uh, we are all familiar and we are extremely uh, i would say uh, comfortable making uh, various amounts of payment uh, the whole transition from uh using cash as a primary means of uh, conducting business in the last 2 uh, to 3 years especially uh the tr the transition has really uh, kind of turned into a, a wide scale transformation uh, which i think most of us have lived through uh so whether you are paying uh, you know 17 rupees or 18 rupees uh, you know uh, to your local vegetable vendor uh for maybe a, a kilo of tomatoes um you no longer have to uh, you know take out a 100 rupee note and expect the person to give you change and 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 maybe you know uh, once upon a time instead of change they used to give candy right so that entire transformation that's happened in digital payments uh you know if you look at it is possibly one of the most um mind boggling transformations that has happened in this country Uh, i think most of us uh, remember the demonetization uh, you know 8th of november uh, when uh, our prime minister announced it a lot of us were taken aback and most of us frankly were shocked that a country like india which is a predominantly a cash country how are we going to transform and transition uh, into something else and and what happens to all of those uh, you know the notes that we had uh, that we had grown to love uh yet if you look at how uh, you know at least the the current generation operates uh you know i can tell you i possibly uh, used to go to the atm at least uh, four to five times in a month earlier now i barely need to go to the atm to withdraw cash once a month and even most of the times that cash is sitting in my wallet uh interestingly three or four years back you could never leave your home without your wallet um or or your purse right now even if you leave home uh, without a wallet it doesn't really matter because your entire payments uh, ecosystem is there on your mobile phone so i think this is a one uh, 
huge example of where a transformation has happened, especially in India. Uh, today, we are actually making the most number of digital payments globally, uh, even more than China. And uh, that trend is going to continue to grow. Uh, and a lot of the disruption that's happening in the banking sector is actually going to uh, reflect and follow on this uh, change in, uh, I would say, dramatic change in uh, consumer behavior that's happened. Thanks, Robin, for explaining it, you know, with detailed examples that we all actually can relate to. Amazing. And uh, as a business, uh, you know, chief business officer, you must be having very interesting roles and responsibilities, right? So uh, can you tell us about it? Yeah, Shivani, I can only tell you that, uh, you know, within uh, my current uh, remit of responsibility, uh, it's only getting more and more exciting every day. And uh, one of the reasons it's so exciting is because uh, we are currently in a stage where it's almost impossible to predict the future. Uh, so while, uh, you know, a lot of us are paid uh, to sit and do some crystal ball, uh, you know, uh, gazing and, and figure out what is it that the consumer is going to be uh, looking for five years down the line or 10 years down the line, most of the interesting and most of the path-breaking innovation that's happening within the banking and financial services uh, industry is happening here and now. And I think we are only going to feel the repercussions and the impact of that way down the line. I mentioned uh, FinTech uh, briefly earlier. Uh, we started the first uh, FinTech finishing school in the world uh, with the Job Assured program last year. And uh, interestingly, when we launched it, uh, we had absolutely no clue whether that would scale or not. Uh, we uh, partnered with uh, one of the major banks in the country that was Axis Bank last year. Uh, and uh, we thought, uh, you know, we will probably grow uh, purely with Access Bank. In the last 12 months, we have uh, managed to successfully onboard another six major clients, including a couple of very large banks. And it's only growing uh, progressively in terms of the kind of um, uh, skilling needs that we see under the FinTech program uh, for, for Manipal. Uh, the other thing I'd like to also mention is that, uh, you know, the kind of uh, people that are looking to get into BFSI, uh, the new generation or the younger generation of, uh, you know, future employees, uh, their expectations are also very different. So, uh, as you know, Manipal has the DNA of education uh, and we've been working with, uh, you know, uh, learners and fresh learners in this country now for about 75 years and more. Uh, what we are seeing now, especially, is uh, the rate of change and uh, the ability to uh, kind of go in with flexible uh, learning outcomes is really what's driving most of the, uh, the new age of um, uh, you know, learning, so to speak. So uh, while we talk about customer experience, we talk about learning experience, etc., one of the most important uh, features of any of what we do is, uh, you know, it has to be uh, delivering an outcome. Uh, we work mostly in our uh, Manipal Global, we work primarily with uh, postgraduates, as in people who have, uh, you know, completed either an undergrad or a postgrad and looking to get into uh, employment, right? And a lot of times their first job. When you work with that segment of people, their requirements are very focused on outcomes. Their requirements are very agile, and uh, essentially, they're looking for uh, new and exciting roles that would uh, kind of 
make sure that you know they are relevant within the industry for the foreseeable future so one of the uh, requirements of my job and essentially what we do is we are constantly reinventing inventing new stuff and trying to see how can we deliver uh, you know learning uh, more from an outcomes perspective uh, make sure we are close to the industry uh, you know we have to be agile in the way we deliver it of course covid has meant that you know physical workspaces have now become largely online and digital uh, so clearly you know that's uh, something which goes without saying but most important is uh, the ability to look at a learner as a lifelong learner and not just someone who is coming into an institution spending 3 months and 4 months and then getting into a job and then disappearing forever so uh, the final thing that we are constantly working on and innovating on is how do we make sure that we are able to engage a learner over a period of over a journey and not just as a as a as an instance and to do that we have to keep content interesting you know the engagement the learning experience has to be uh, fresh it has to be intuitive uh, you know of course things like gamification etc are part of hygiene nowadays uh, and uh, the ability for us to kind of be very specific in terms of what each of those learning modules or outcomes are i think uh, overall uh, shivani it's a it's an interesting space to be in and we are kind of you know trying to be uh, you know challenging not only what we know but also what the industry knows uh, uh, you know in the space that really sounds interesting you know your words uh, echo our uh, you know present scenario very lot especially you know learner as a lifelong learner you know seeing that perspective is actually uh, very different and it's mandatory to survive in this present scenario as well so uh now when we uh, look at the pandemic's hit it has changed many things right especially across industries so how do you think that the pandemic has you know transformed the bsfi sector so shivani it's a great question in the sense that i think uh, we will possibly find out maybe a year to year and half down the line Uh, the early signs that we see are primarily around uh, three areas where the the major impact seems to have happened first is uh, you know uh, the pandemic has kind of introduced new ways of working uh, which means that uh, you know the bfsi industry and possibly other industries as well are really looking at uh, you know how the future workforce is going to look like right uh for example do you need everybody in office uh, how many branches do you need does everybody need to report into a branch you know what is the right uh, coordination or the combination of uh, of a hybrid working model etc uh second uh, that seems to have uh, you know really transformed uh, you know the way this industry works is uh, for almost one and a half years uh, you know people really didn't get an opportunity to spend money right we were all sitting at home uh, you know some of us were fortunate enough uh, to still have a job uh, but what that meant was uh, you know people were uh, earning money and uh, they really didn't get an opportunity to spend it uh, and if you look at most of the banks uh, in the country i mean they're sitting on uh, huge piles of cash now cash as you know sitting in one place is completely useless it needs to be in circulation so pretty much every financial services organization out there 
are focusing on lending. I mean, whether it be lending money to you in the form of uh, an automobile loan or a housing loan or even selling you a credit card, people are trying to get you to spend, right? And uh, which is why you see pretty much every alternate, uh, you know, advertisement out there, you know, advertising a very competitive home loan and, and trying to sell you everything from, you know, education loans and uh, so on and so forth. I think the third area in which there's been a major impact is really um, the ability to understand and, uh, you know, direct customer behavior. And that kind of, uh, you know, very closely aligns with the school of uh, data analytics and data science that we launched recently. Uh, I mentioned right at the beginning that, uh, you know, the future of banking and uh, financial services will largely be guided by, uh, you know, an institution's ability to read data. Uh, everybody has access to a lot of data. We are generating data uh, constantly. Uh, you know, most of the organizations that uh, we bank with are capturing some of the data. However, uh, you know, one of the reasons, uh, you know, you use Google Pay far more than maybe uh, using your bank or, or a debit card or a credit card is possibly because uh, of ease of use, right? So you can scan and pay, you get rewards. Uh, the entire user experience is so much better. Now, in this entire process, uh, you know, the person or the, uh, the institution which gets to understand your uh, behavior as a consumer is Google and not the bank. And that is something that most of the banks are worried about because finally, uh, you know, if you keep your money with a large bank, but you choose not to transact with them, that doesn't help, right? Because uh, finally, uh, as a consumer, you're data really gets generated when you are working or when you're transacting or when you're spending or when you're earning, et cetera. So really the focus on understanding consumer behavior, uh, what is the next level of digital experience that we are looking for as a consumer? Uh, you know, what are the new products that we could uh, potentially be uh, you know, interested in? You know, what are the kind of micro services uh, that could be relevant depending on the market. All of those things are fundamentally changing the way this industry is going to operate down the line. And uh, in case uh, some of you have heard of uh, the concept of neobanks, for example, uh, neobanks are now setting up shop in India. So you have uh, this, uh, the first one I believe was Revolut uh, from the UK, which, uh, which set up um, sometime earlier this year. But essentially, uh, you know, with neobanks, with an Amazon, with a Google, uh, you know, with a Paytm uh, coming into play, the whole role of uh, traditional banking services is going to be turned around on its head. And that, again, is possibly the biggest uh, area of impact that we have seen in the last one and a half years post-COVID. I think that's got accelerated at a pace which, uh, you know, nobody would have imagined in, in 2019. Great. And, you know, very rightly pointed out uh, uh, all about, you know, the three uh, situations where uh, the BFSI sector has been transforming. So now uh, how necessary it is, you know, to upskill professionals as, you know, today's uh, skills might not be, uh, you know, valuable in tomorrow's. So especially when we look at India, 
so how how necessary it is you know to upskill the professionals in this particular sector i would uh, not use the word necessary i would uh, use the word mandatory uh, shivani i think uh, it's a life skill and uh, you know uh, when i say life skill what i mean is that if you do not uh, reskill yourself um, you know you will probably find yourself um, redundant um, sooner rather than later now let me kind of put this into context uh, you know maybe into bfsi and of course a similar rate of transformation is happening in a lot of other industries as well but in banking in insurance uh, you know i'll again give you a small example uh, a few years back and maybe let's say a decade back uh, most of the banks used to hire for a role called uh, probationary officers and a probationary officer was a fairly uh, you know aspirational role to go for uh, you would be expected to sit in a nice office uh, maybe sit in the branch uh, you know meet customers who would walk into the branch and solve their problems and sometimes if the customers would ask you uh, for a product you could explain that product to them and maybe sell them that product now unfortunately uh, in the last few years that role of probationary officer has completely transformed to a point where uh, you know i think most banks have realized that customers no longer walk into their branches so you cannot have people sitting in a branch waiting for a customer to walk in and then you can sell them something it has turned around to being a situation where you've got to be where the customer is and the customer might be at a mall the customer might be you know at an automobile dealership uh, the customer might be obviously you know in in some physical office or in most cases the customer might be at home so how do you reach out to a customer who is no longer walking into your branch because you still need to sell them new products and new services i think that's one of the fundamental changes that has occurred in the last decade um and uh, as a result a lot of people who used to think that walking into a bank and getting a job in a bank was you know like you're set for life and uh, of course there's a huge aspirational quotient um you know but most people would walk into and join a bank branch because you know it's it's a nice comfortable job right unfortunately those kind of roles have all been replaced by various degrees of automation so if you are uh, you know of course you know things like internet banking etc are uh, the simpler examples but uh, even if you look at the impact that demonetization had i mean how many people uh, actually walk into an atm anymore right we spoke about uh, the uh, complete um, you know revolution that's happened in the digital payment space so naturally you will need a very different kind of uh, employee with a very different skill set to be relevant anymore within the banking and financial services space i'll also give you an example of insurance if you look at uh, you know how traditionally an insurance company would be staffed there would be roles uh, right from sales to uh you know customer service to uh you know people who would actually be uh you know responsible for claims and uh, you know assessing a claim and then claim settlement and then payments etc 
Now, a lot of those roles traditionally, which were done by people, uh, are now all automated. So you have uh, you know technologies such as RPA, uh, which are responsible for automating over sixty percent of the traditional roles within an insurance sector. Now, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, selling to a client or a potential client is still something which is done best by an individual, by a human, and not by a bot. Having said that, uh, you know, it's quite possible that even the future of selling might look very different. Uh, some of the roles that really have been impacted because of this transformation, because of this change are really, as I mentioned, some of the back office roles that used to be very prevalent earlier. Now, let me also put that into the context of the Indian banking sector. Um, the Indian banking sector is still underpenetrated. Uh, there's still a lot of investment that's going on in terms of financial inclusion and getting people to come in and you know, buy more products and maybe even do more fixed deposits, et cetera. But the uh, core uh, change that has happened in terms of the people that are getting hired and promoted and, and really being uh, you know, groomed within some of the larger organizations are people who can use technology, who can use data, who can use uh, tools and processes to really uh, differentiate the bank, the service that's being offered, and more importantly, understand what is it that the customer is likely to want you know, two years or three years down the line. Uh, most businesses are trying to figure out that, you know, let's try and be where the, uh, you know, as they say, uh, when you're playing hockey, you should be where uh, the ball is likely to be and not, not where the ball was, right? So I think uh, most of the roles that are being hired for uh, across all levels, uh, when I mentioned FinTech, when I talked about data analytics and data sciences, uh, really, the future lies in the ability to understand, uh, you know, consumer behavior and uh, design products, build products, uh, you know, that would be innovative, that are agile, uh, that uh, take away the middleman, uh, you know, and really uh, kind of, you know, maybe try and include the entire section of the population, not just a small part of it. And all of that needs uh, tools. It needs, uh, you know, uh, access to technology. It needs access to uh, understanding the domain. It needs access to understanding the compliance and regulatory needs, uh, and a whole lot of things which might not have been as important or as critical, even I would say five or six years back. Very well explained, uh, Robin. And you know, as you mentioned about technology as well, so uh, it has been transforming across industries in many, many diverse ways. So, how is the academy, you know, contributing to uh, the growth of artificial intelligence and big data analytics, and you know, the cloud, even for that matter? So, uh, Shivani, what we do is uh, we uh, really have a approach which kind of encompasses three areas. Uh, the one is, you know, there is a, the, the simplest part of all of this is the actual skilling that's done on a product or a tool or a technology such as, uh, let's say, you mentioned artificial intelligence and machine learning. So for example, you know, if I use uh, an open source product like Python, I mean, training someone on Python is possibly the easiest part of it all, right? 
what are the other uh, more relevant areas in which kind of we uh, focus on in addition to the first one? Uh, the second critical area is uh, knowing a product or a tool or a methodology is never good enough because uh, it's equally important to be productive and, uh, you know, understand the role that you would be performing when you join your employer. Uh, within Manipal Global, we have this principle of uh, providing first day, first hour productive employees. What that means is that uh, post a finishing school experience with Manipal, when the employer joins uh, you know, the hiring organization, they are expected to be ready from the word go. Uh, you know, the minute they uh, kind of, uh, you know, the, the minute they join the, the company. Now that happens uh, because they understand the product, the tool set, the technology, the methodology, et cetera, which was the first one. Second is they need to be trained equally for the role that they would be performing. So for example, you know, are you a business analyst? Are you a product manager? Are you uh, maybe a developer? Are you someone who is uh, more on the, uh, the solution side? So someone who is actually responsible for building in multiple solutions, et cetera, right? The third and very critical area is understanding the domain. And as I had briefly mentioned, uh, you know, it's not good enough just to understand, uh, for example, big data. You need to understand the impact of big data within banking, right? And that means that you should have a basic understanding of the banking sector in terms of maybe compliance requirements, rules, regulations, KYC, what can you do, you know, what's the market trends, you know, what other people are doing so that you are able to build uh, maybe products and tools that are relevant to you. Last but not the least is really the whole area of, uh, you know, what's popularly called as soft skills, which is becoming extremely critical going forward. Uh, so one of the challenges and one of the reasons why most people coming out of a traditional university setup, uh, you know, uh, do not find jobs it's largely because they don't understand what the corporate wants, right? So when a corporate, uh, you know, employer is looking at hiring, uh, there are very fundamental things like communication skills, the ability to write a structured email, the ability to demonstrate analytical thinking, for example, how do you uh, approach uh, problem solving, for example, how do you work with a team that you have never physically met, but you're just seeing, looking at them on a Zoom, uh, you know, two by two in screen every day. Uh, you know, those kind of things often make or break uh, an employee-employer relationship. So that's the fourth element on which we focus on. And, uh, you know, that's again, becoming extremely critical in, in an employee coming in and being uh, successful and, and being able to actually produce results uh, when they hire the, when they join the, uh, the hiring organization. So really, these are the three or four areas that uh, we try and focus on as Manipal. Great. I'm happy to know how the academy is actually uh, contributing to artificial intelligence or machine learning or even the big data analytics and data science. So especially when talking about the fintech companies, so blockchain technology has been taking over this space. 
So how do you think blockchain technologies can affect the banking sector in 2021? So Shivani, I think blockchain is a, a hugely underrated uh, technology that a lot of banks are currently experimenting with. Uh, but I really see this becoming a significant game changer in the next couple of years, maybe not in 2021, but uh, potentially 2022 and, and, and uh, later. Uh, there are a couple of scenarios within which blockchain has uh, very obvious benefits. One of them is the ability to really uh, have uh, secure transactions without too many, uh, let's say, brokers or, or middlemen, right? So as you would know, blockchain really is a whole concept of, um, you know, ledgers that contain customer data, which has been verified, uh, you know, uh, by a chain of, uh, let's say, uh, approvals and, and authorities, right? And some of those authorities could be an individual, right? So who have uh, who can verify that it's, it's actually a genuine transaction. Now, one of the biggest advantages of uh, having blockchain-based technologies is the ability really to do peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, I would say, validation and verification of customer data, customer transactions, and, and what that really means is two things. One is you no longer require a global authority or a mandate, um, you know, or even a middleman, so to speak. Uh, if you look at some of the large credit card companies, uh, you know, and I, I could typically think of an MX or, or a Visa or a MasterCard. One of the roles that they play as a global authority is really to provide you with uh, access to uh, a unified set of, uh, you know, toolkit, uh, which kind of lets you introduce your, your product, uh, you know, tells you how to go about, uh, you know, uh, acquiring customers, validating the customer, the transaction, et cetera. Now with blockchain, a lot of that gets democratized, right? And uh, as you would know, you know, the entire world is uh, grappling with this concept of cryptocurrency. Uh, maybe it's much more than a concept as we speak, but the entire crypto framework is built on blockchain. Now, one of the obvious advantages to that is the fact that, you know, crypto can possibly, or digital currency can possibly, uh, you know, really democratize uh, the value of currency going forward. So it could be a far more uh, truthful reflection of the true value of currency of an economy, etc. Now, of course, there are uh, pros and cons and the cons uh, that typically most uh, central governments and central banks are worried about is, you know, is all around control, right? So how do you control, uh, you know, uh, the various entities that are involved, how do you control transactions? You know, how do you control, uh, let's say, uh, the gray economy or, or uh, you know, transactions that are really strictly not legit, right? So, uh, but like any other powerful tool, I mean, everything has its pros and cons. I think crypto is clearly no different. But again, it's purely based on blockchain technology and, uh, you know, the ramifications of something like crypto can uh, can be uh, far more than significant. I mean, the way we, uh, you know, the entire world benchmarks their currency against the US dollar, I mean, that fundamentally could change. 
so naturally, uh, you know, there's a lot of impact to that. Uh, there are positives, there are negatives, but uh, definitely that's one of the areas in which we will see a lot of work uh, going on, uh, you know, uh, globally uh, uh, going forward. Thanks for elaborating on how uh, blockchain can actually transform the banking sector, uh, Robin. And uh, the pandemic has also accelerated the adoption of digitalization. And you know there are more technology-driven approaches now than ever before. So how do you think we can you know, replace the existing workforce if we are not skilled? Shivani, I think it's less about replacing the workforce. It's more about upskilling them because, to be honest, uh, you know, India has over a million people who work in the BFSI sector alone. And uh, I would safely assume that out of that million-odd people, uh, over 90% of them are not geared up for any of the new scale areas that would be uh, transforming this sector going forward. So now the question really, I think most of the large institutions are struggling with is how do we bring about transformation at scale? Uh, so one of the things that we try to say at Manipal is we are essentially the people part of uh, the digital transformation that's happening, which means that, uh, you know, when we look at how to accelerate, uh, you know, adoption of these new skills, I think there are a couple of realities that we have to work with. First is not everybody starts at the same uh, level. So, you know, when we talk about, let's say, uh, deploying an enterprise-wide reskilling program, we have to be conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, maybe a bank with 100,000 employees would have widely different needs among those 100,000 people. The second thing that we need to work with in most cases is that, uh, you know, people by design or by nature are very, uh, you know, they, they don't want to change, right? They don't want to learn anything new. So, uh, you know, the question that constantly gets asked is what's in it for me? I mean, why should I sit and learn, uh, you know, why artificial intelligence is important? What is machine learning? What is cognitive dissonance? You know, why, why do I care? What is big data? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. So I think building that business case and having a typical carrot and stick approach where some of it gets made mandatory by the, uh, by the employer, uh, that's the second big challenge that uh, pretty much everybody's grappling with. I think the third big challenge that's happened is uh, there is this massive digital divide that has become a reality in most organizations, not just banks. So you have the new digital savvy, digital natives who are very comfortable, uh, you know, understanding, interpreting, working with new technology. And then, of course, you have a lot of other people who might have been there for many, many years uh, for whom, uh, you know, transforming to a new way of working is, is a severe challenge. Uh, and this digital divide is becoming a serious, uh, you know, friction point for most organizations to move forward at the speed at which they need to. And we are being called in more and more to come in and help them uh, bridge this uh, digital divide uh, within these organizations. Last but not the least, uh, you know, it's really all about um, speed and agility. Now, um, one of the things why learning and continuous learning is becoming, uh, you know, hygiene and, and it's uh, something that none of us can do live without. 
you know, the way we all learn uh, is is pretty unique. Not not everyone, you know, maybe I'm a visual learner. Maybe, you know, somebody else can just listen to a podcast such as this and and learn uh, something out of it. Uh, how do you design a system at scale for such individual levels and uh, methods of learning? Uh, along with the fact that, you know, uh, for any employer, you also need to be able to measure the outcomes and the progress that you make uh, post that learning happening. So that is possibly a more severe challenge, which multiple companies, you know, including Manipal, uh, you know, are trying to address. Uh, everyone, uh, so when we, when we talk about ed tech, for example, I think uh, the tech part is really what's trying to see whether we can integrate, uh, you know, human-centric uh, technology uh, combined with learning tools and learning platforms and make it very intuitive and very, uh, I would say, uh, personalized towards the learner uh, so that, you know, they don't feel that they've got to finish something, you know, within a, a restricted space or, or, or a period of time. Uh, so I would say these are the three or four things that most organizations are uh, kind of, um, you know, trying to solve. And, and we are playing a very active role in working with most of them uh, in, in trying to solve for this. Uh, this is very apt, you know, for the present scenario as the demand for skills, uh, you know, skilled workers have been the foremost for most of the companies and industries and this is really going to help most of the organizations you know to upskill their employees as well so thank you so much robin it was really a pleasure talking to you and learning more about uh, manipal uh, academy and uh, waiting to see even more innovative solutions coming up from your end thank you shivani and it's been a pleasure talking to you and